the incomparable. Number 296, April 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We're here to talk, as everybody has demanded, about Batman. And that's right. That's why we're going to be talking about Batman, the animated series. A Batman that people want to watch. (laughs) Uh, That's all I'm going to say. Joining me to talk about a classic, perhaps the definitive Batman. We'll see what uh, people have to say about it. We've got a a fantastic panel here. David J. Lohr is here. Hello. Hello. You used the adjective I was going to use. Definitive. Thank you. I, I, uh, the uh, playwright approves of my adjective. Uh, (laughs) Dan Morin also joins us. Hi, Dan. I am the knight. I, I mean, hi. Hey, how's it going? You got something in your throat there, I think. I do. Uh, sorry, I got some tea here. Hold on. Shannon Sutterth also joins us. Hello. Hola, Frikis. <laughs> Joining us for the very first time. Uh, but uh, a familiar name if you read the old TV website, which uh, is essentially what spawned The Incomparable. Uh, but it's his first Incomparable podcast. You waited almost 300 episodes, but you finally did it. It's Nathan Alderman. Hi, Nathan. Howdy. Uh, and uh, finally, the... One of the cardinals of the Church of Batman, Tony Sindelar. Hello, nerds. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so dark, so menacing, so threatening. That is the the voice of a great detective. Yeah. The the org chart in the Church of Batman is complicated. Uh, it's it's very shadowy. Not a, there's a lot of dashed lines, not a lot of straight lines. So no, it's, I would imagine it's all dashed lines, and that the people are shadows. kind of clouds and yeah. lots of question marks. At, at the very least, I'm a gray eminence. Maybe not a dark eminence, you, but a gray. You it's, never know with the Church of Batman. Yeah, it is. That's true. Does every sermon in the Church of Batman have to be delivered in like a deep, husky growl? (laughs) That that would have to be murder on your throat. No, he's always watching you, Batman. (laughs) Um, He knows if you've been naughty or nice. (laughs) Spoiler, it's always naughty. Tony, tell us why we chose to watch Batman the Animated Series. And you gave us a list of episodes to watch. Uh, You know, there was a lot of talk about Batman vs. Superman. Uh, a lot of people ask me, what are my feelings on Batman vs. Superman? Uh, that is not a question I felt qualified to answer because I have not seen Batman vs. Superman. <laughs> I'll see it someday, but I am not in any rush. Like, if it finds me, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for Batman vs. Superman <laughs> Bat- to Batman come into my life. Batman will find you, Tony. I, yeah, I believe I'm, the Church of Batman it it has remained neutral on Batman vs. Superman up to now. They've not made a statement either way about yeah, it. Yeah. Is there like it's a, rather agnostic? Yeah. Mm, is yeah. there a schism here? Is there like. <laughs> Batman is different things to different people. And there are some people who, you know, Batman for Superman is the Batman they need. Uh, I am from the uh, the tradition that sees Batman the Animated Series as the, uh, the best Batman. Uh, Batman the Animated Series, uh, you know, this, this aired in the early 90s. Uh, I was a, a, you know, medium-sized child, um, not quite a teenager yet. And I would come home and I would watch this every day. And it was basically the best part about my childhood. Uh, so it's going to be really great when other people feel lackluster about it. Looking at you, Jason Snell. <laughs> <laughs> I will explain that. So, so this uh, series began to air. Uh, you were you were a medium sized child. I was. Uh, I think I, I was probably I was eleven or twelve when I was watching it. So this was this actually premiered when I started grad school. Um, I, I left college, went to grad school, 
Um, I was not watching television at this point very much because I was doing lots of other stuff and I completely missed it, completely missed it. So for this, uh, you, you assigned uh, all of us some episodes to watch. These are the only episodes of this series that I've ever seen, but I watched all of them. So I picked 10 episodes. I can talk a little bit about why I tried to pick those, but it is hard. This is, you know, there are many episodes for the this sh- this show and I tried to pick 10 and some, several of those 10 are two-parters. Yes. Because uh, Batman the Animated Series has some great two-parters, but that limits kind of the number of like little stories you get to fit in 10. But, you know, I thought 10 was like a, a very nice package. Um, and some of those were like things that are my favorite episodes. And some of those were episodes I thought might appeal to Jason, who was seeing them for the first time. <laughs> and some of them were the ones that I thought were like the best episodes or the most like important representative right. types of things. <laughs> Let's check in on everybody else first about their experience. We now know that I didn't watch it. And Tony was a medium sized child who watched it and was the best thing about his childhood. So uh, let's see how everybody else feels. Where, where, what was your exposure to Batman the Animated Series, Dan? Uh, like Tony, so I was a little bit old and told him, but not by much. I remember watching it in junior high school. Uh, I especially, I have a very distinct memory. There was one of those days when we were in school and there was like a rumor going around. I don't know what spawned it, but as, as happens in, in schools, like, ah, today, today is going to be the end, the end of the world today at like, at like four o'clock or something like that. You know, one of those doomsday cult type predictions that 11 and 12 year olds so dearly <laughs> like. And I remember replying, I hope not because Batman is on it. Five. <laughs> uh, so I started watching very like Tony. I would come home and I would I would watch it um, in the in the afternoon. And for me, I think the most exciting thing about this, not that I was an, an enormous Batman fan going in, um, but was there was something about this show that was clearly set apart from the other cartoons that I was watching at the time. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed like your Animaniacs and Tiny Toons or things that are a little more comedic. Um, but the fact that this wasn't, this was a cartoon that was, first of all, not played for laughs at all, pretty much. I mean, there's, there's some comedy here and there, but most of the episodes tend to veer a little bit more towards the serious side. Um, it felt a lot darker than a lot of the, the cartoons I was watching, which appealed to me as someone who was, you know, a preteen right there. Um, and I think I, what I liked the most about it was that, especially as the show went on, you do have these serialized, uh, stories often broken into a couple parts. Um, and for me, there was no greater thrill than like, you know, turning on and hit like previously on Batman, like, cause that was not a thing that you saw on cartoons, like for the most part, occasionally you'd get some like Japanese import, like redubbed anime and that would have sort of an ongoing story but this was one of the first american cartoons that i remember watching as a kid that actually continued from episode to episode and as someone who loves serial storytelling that really appealed to me uh and not just in the direct you know you have a lot of two-parters but as the series went on we added new characters existing characters got developed you know villains would recur um and and it felt like there was change happening here which is a little silly to say in a comic book series in some ways because like you know the the big thing i think you know is like batman kind of never really changes right like that's that's kind of his his shtick um but the especially as i've gone back and revisited the voice acting you know so many of these characters to me have become i think i i used the word with you earlier jason definitive uh in my head kevin conroy as as bruce Wayne and, and very good and yeah, and Batman especially is like the Batman that I remember. Mark Hamill's Joker is, of course, the uh, sort of to me the definitive Joker. And as those characters have gone on, they've they've portrayed them in a number of forms, including some of the video games later on, uh, and and just the designs of the characters even. Um, so I I think that that for me 
this really set my expectations of of who Batman was. And this comes a couple of years after the first uh, and and second, I think, Michael Keaton movies. But mm-hmm. those felt those were kind of too old or too young. I, I was too young. I felt in some ways for those, or at least they were a little darker than I was prepared for at that age. So this really, I think defined you know what batman was to me i'd seen like the adam west series earlier on i think i had a pair of batman pajamas that had like a velcro cape that was pretty sweet um (laughs) but uh yeah this to me is kevin conroy will always remain my batman and this show is still fantastic right david what was your experience with batman the animated series I, I had seen several, you know, I'd grown up with several iterations of Batman, and the Adam West one was on all the time Certainly. when I was a you child. you and me both, yeah. So, you know, that was that was my main thing. I saw the Filmation cartoon versions in the 70s. They were okay. They weren't great. They were better than Super Friends. And so, you know, when the Michael Keaton, the first one hit, I was really excited. I was like, okay, we're going to see a, a good Batman. This is great. And so the animated series hit just about when Batman Returns came out, um, which explains how Catwoman's relationship in the in the cartoon series developed. It's it's like spun off of that. And um, so yeah, I was ready for it when it premiered. It premiered on Fox on a Sunday night at seven with with the first episode with Man Bat, and I was sitting there with a couple of my friends from high school who were just starting graduate school. Um, and I was like, I, I don't care what else we do tonight. We are going to watch Batman right now. And they, they sat down and they were hooked. And then when the actual series started, um, my mother got hooked just walking through and, and seeing it and going, Hey, that's actually good. Mm. Um, cause I mean, I, I'd grown up again on the shadow and Zorro and, you know, all the things that influenced Batman. Um, and this really, harkens back to that style both visually a little bit but just in terms of the storytelling but with more maturity it's it's much better written than most of the old influences on it uh so yeah i i made time to watch it even though i was in my 20s by that point and every uh iteration of the show that came out after that you know the new batman adventures the batman and robin adventures and and then superman i'm not even a big superman fan i watched their uh, version of Superman that went along with this, um, and then and then of course the Justice League series is 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 and all the animated films that have come since then, and and yeah that's that's why I say this is definitive. I I'm really not all that interested. I I like this better than the Christopher Nolan films, even the ones mm-hmm. that I like. You know mm-hmm. this is Batman to me because this is a plausible continuing life of a superhero. The big budget movies are big explodey things. I mean, what? We get one Joker story and then he dies until they reboot it and we get one Joker story and he dies. It's like, no, 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 no. This is how this works. This is a comic book. Nathan, what's your uh, what's your relationship with the animated series? I, I, I get the sense that you like it a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, actually, I remember watching it the day it premiered, which is actually on a Saturday before the Man Bat episode on the Sunday. They oh. aired the very first episode on a Saturday morning. I remember sitting down with my brother. I'd, I'd read about it. I'd read about it a, a few years before it came out in some promotional magazine that Warner Brothers sent out that somehow wound its found its way into my middle school journalism classroom. But I, I still remember my brother and I parked on the couch. We've got a tape in the VCR to record it, the anticipation, 
and then seeing this amazing show unfold with these opening credits that have no text, no titles, no words, just music and images. Mm. Uh, I watched my brother and I watched that first episode, I think, four times uh, that weekend alone just rewatching it because we we had never seen anything like this in animation we'd both been reading batman comics for a few years you know i liked recordings of the shadow i was about 13 years old at that point um and, and i loved like old recordings of the shadow with orson wells and and i knew about frank miller even though i hadn't really read his work um so yeah it, it is i think what makes it great is that it's a synthesis of every good aspect of batman that had come before the series throughout every iteration of the character. You've got mm, like the, the yes. bright primary colors of the very first comics. You've got some of the, the fun Silver Age goofiness um, and like the, a little bit of the camp from the Batman 66 series, like in the Riddler's costume design. You've got the darkness of the movies. You've got a little Frank Miller in the, in the squareness of the, the character designs. All these, they, they had all this great stuff to pick and choose from. And then when they didn't have great stuff to pick and choose from, like with Mr. Freeze, they created stuff that went on to become, you know, as good as any of the stuff that they picked and chose from. It, it's, I mean, when you think about it, this is the first animated series that, in a way that is still totally appropriate for kids, shows a married couple sharing a bed, shows an abusive relationship, which is genuinely terrifying, and still manages to make it all ki- kid-friendly and in a way that, that kids can understand and relate to. It's... It is my favorite animated series. It's one of my favorite TV series, so I'm really... You might notice I'm slightly excited to be here yeah. and talk about it. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, Shannon, what about you? So I would be part of the group that uh, started watching this uh, in grad school. Uh, I grew up on the Batman reruns uh, from the old Adam West show, uh, and I was a total Batgirl fanatic, Is sort of was my gateway into it when I was very young. Um and getting older, uh, was excited for the, the first Batman movie. At this point, I was uh, in grad school. I'd found my tribe, and I was in a science fiction club. And this was one of the things that everybody was interested in and talked about. Um, loved loved the Tim Burton movies. Really enjoyed um, that they elevated the comic books to this grand big scale much better than any of the TV shows might have. Um, and then this animated series is coming out and I watched anime. I watched cartoons still. I liked various cartoons. And, um, I, if I remember correctly, there was a viewing party with our, some of the people at our science fiction club that, you know, everybody got together at somebody's apartment just to watch the first episodes. Um, and we were like, and this is smart. That was one of the things that we thought, not just, not, not just good, not just artistic, uh, this cohesive universe that they created with the style of the the animation of the world, creating this sort of 40s, 50s vibe, and yet all of the computers, appliances, everything completely modern, all of this mixed together, just and the use of the characters that people have mentioned, um, creating or reinventing uh, classic Batman villains, creating new interesting possibilities, and always with this balanced sense it's like very few of these characters are 100 percent evil so many of right. the origins they create come from somebody who you know mr freeze that we'll be talking about in a few minutes when we get to the actual episodes that the animated series take is this was just a guy trying to save his wife and this evil corporate dude prevents it and apparently kills the wife 
um, and turns him into the supervillain that he became. Um, the emotional beats were there in a way that I had not seen with um, with what any other animated cartoon series, certainly. Um, you know, with Frank Miller's The Dark Knight, other comics were getting into deeper, more emotional storytelling, uh, but TV hadn't caught up yet. Um, and then, of course, like the others, I, I kept watching the Bruce Tim universe, uh, all hail uh, mm-hmm. Superman, Justice League, mm-hmm. young, you know, Titans. I've, I've been paying attention and continuing to watch just like a lot of you guys. Um, and I love rewatching the show. I loved introducing it to my teenager when he was younger. Uh, he got into what, nine, ten years old, somewhere in there that all of a sudden he wanted to start watching it. And we're like, yeah, here, here's the first set of DVDs. Go for it. Um, so we've always been really appreciative of um, just how well they captured uh, a vision of the Batman that took bits from all the best bits from all of these different sources and made it into something definitive. <laughs> no well, other word right. for it. And and tying into something both of you have sort of hit on, uh, the real thing that comes out in this, there's a difference between mature and adult. There is a maturity mm-hmm. to the characters and the writing in this show that none of the movies even approach as adult and serious mm-hmm. and violent and, you know, oh, look at us, we're deep. No, you're, yeah. you're bombastic. This has real emotional maturity. Yeah, and I think that this also stresses the character of Batman in a way. I think part of what makes it definitive for me is that the Batman here is an interesting multidimensional character who is not... Uh, mm, I don't know. Yes. I feel like today's Batman is so he's jing- not all angst all the time. Right? He's that so jing- he's got and he's one one key. Yeah, yeah, and he's jingoistic in so many of the movies, right? Where it's like I'm good, and like I they imp- play up the brutality of it, which I get, you know, as sort of a dimension that you can explore in Batman. But you're right; that's one note. Whereas here, I, I mean, for me, there is no better summation of the Batman from this, and therefore the Batman that I consider sort of the official Batman than. You know, Nathan mentioned the title sequence itself. There's no dialogue. There's no words. There's no titles. And yet the story of the title sequence is itself self-contained. I mean, it, and it tells basically you, was the pilot for it. Right. Exactly. Right. It's right. sort of. The, and, but like, I love that. it tell, Like, here's a guy. He shows up. He beats the thugs, but he doesn't like he doesn't like beat them. Right. Like he, he defeats them without like brutalizing them, leaves them tied up for the police. That's his job. And then he goes off and he stands silhouetted by mm-hmm. the lightning. But, but like there's something about it to me that encapsulates the whole idea of this Batman. He is a vigilante. Yes, but he's a detective uh, and a crime solver, and there's a, there's just so much more to him as a character here than I think in in pretty much any of the other on screen representations that we see. The detective element is is one of the things I really so like about here. this version of Batman because I mean that's the you know Batman is theoretically the world's greatest detective, but there's a lot of iterations of Batman where he is he does not do any detecting work. He's the world's greatest punter of ninjas, basically. <laughs> uh, I, pre- I prefer the, I prefer the world's greatest detective and. And he does a lot more. And some of that, I think, may be a, a factor of, like, this was a kid's show that was going to play on, on weekday afternoons. And so uh, it can't be brutal violence. And so there's more, like, solving puzzles. And especially even in, like, the first set of episodes, it's kind of, like, more wackier villains. And, you know, like, the, the scarecrow shows up multiple times to make people, like, scared of things. Um 
but like I, I like that he is he is he is an actual detective. He does a lot across the episodes with like solving mysteries and uh, figuring out riddles and and solving puzzles. Uh, he does a lot with uh, disguises and he has uh, multiple mm-hmm. like personas that he takes on. You know, and you know that happens in some versions of the comics. But there's a lot of the modern version of Batman that kind of like they 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 kind of drop that or the detective angle is not so much that Batman is a detective so much as like he's got all these gadgets right you know so I mean a recent Batman comic I was reading he has like a thing in his glove so that he can literally like touch something and his glove like analyzes the DNA and stuff and the computer tells him where to go next and it's like I mean technically he's doing detective work there but it's really just he has the fanciest nicest computer that money can buy doing the detective work for him yeah and this version of Batman is a detective rich and strategic in many of them like he's shown as sort of a tactician and a strategist almost more like a soldier in many of the movies and tv shows you know he's got like he's smart about how he engages and fights but we never see him being particularly clever you know or or smart in the sense of like i'm going to unravel all these things and i agree totally tony that that, that's that is played up here so much more not only you know several of the characters mention him as a detective including mr freeze and of course rachel ghoul always calls him detective which is a detail yeah i I like that a lot Mm -hmm. um and Mm -hmm. i think that that to me is i agree totally like this is the batman i want to see because it's the batman who is not solely reliant on his gadgets or his ability to beat the crap out of other people right like he uses his brains and and that's that sets him apart in some ways for especially if you put him up against someone like superman who is never considered (laughs) i feel like to be a particularly smart hero right Mm -hmm. you know and so if you can't beat superman by beating him you know you beat him by outsmarting him and there's the the famous Justice League uh, bit where you know all of the all the members of the Justice League are stuck somewhere and they have to like go undercover and they're like worried about divulging their secret identities and Batman's just like you know, I already know you're you you're you you're you you're you we're done let's move on I've got a file <laughs> yeah. on all of you like come on people and and while I would watch the hell out of a show called Ninja Puncher this is actually a a an aspirational hero too he's heroic he's just mm. good and he's held up as an example. By characters in the show, even, uh, which, you, again, you can't say about the movies. Yep. Agreed. And he's also he's fallible and, and mortal, which is interesting mm-hmm. um, in the comics. You know, Grant Morrison kind of started the trend of, you know, the bat god. He's he's never wrong. He's always got a contingency for everything. In this series, we've got a Batman who catches a cold and is sneezing and yeah. sniffling and needs <laughs> tissues. We've got one where, you know, in, in arguably the most Batman thing ever, the episode opens with him brooding on a stone throne in his cave, mm. uh, you know, because he, he has doubts that what he's doing is making a difference. And I love that. I think that adds a, a, a wonderful nuance and a humanity to the character that you don't see in the comics anymore, really, and in a lo- definitely in a lot of his adaptations. So as somebody who uh, I was in college when the Michael Keaton Batman came out, I, I was struck that uh, obviously the theme music here is the Danny Elfman Batman theme, which I love. I loved that whole score album from the 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 Tim Burton original Batman with Michael Keaton. And I feel like that that movie, because it um, lifted so much from so many different eras. It had like old cars and, uh, you know, the design of the Batmobile that it, it in some ways, I, I don't know the backstory here, but it struck me that maybe it gave this series the freedom to have some interesting art direction and have this be this kind of retro feeling 
show in terms of style. It isn't shiny and new and modern. It's very kind of uh, throwback. And in that in that period, I mean, that was what the Tim Burton Batman was too. It was it was not something that looked modern. It looked like some kind of indeterminate time where there was modern things, but there was always also like old cars and old technology and a really fun combination of that. So I was struck by that too. That the um, the the Tim Burton Batman, I feel like maybe. Um, gave them the freedom to do something that wasn't maybe something they could have done on their own without that taking the lead. And that was one thing that Gotham has actually, the one thing that Gotham has done really well as a TV show <laughs> is follow in that footsteps of creating like the, there are computers, but everything's kind of old and seems like it's from some weird like 80s, 50s mashup time period. So like, I mean, Batman's got a back computer in this, right? But like, there's also airships and yeah. stuff so yeah i agree it's, it feels fantastical which is nice i would say the batman character too you know if you look at keaton in the 1989 batman um it's not that far off from the animated series batman in some ways he's he's not you know it, it's not it's not quite the same but you can see how that was kind of an antecedent because you know obviously this as a franchise they're like well we want to stay sort of on brand with the franchise before it totally spun out of right. control with the, the the later the later movies um so i could i could sort of see that so anyway i i was struck by that as somebody who's seen that Bert, tim burton batman movie 20 times 30 times <laughs> to, to have some little connection to to that here i mean it was keyed to batman returns so they wanted to keep a certain consistency there and that's you know that's why the elfman is there that's why the the mm -hmm. design of the car is not exact but it's, it's close. close i think something else that um maybe comes from the michael keaton movies maybe other sources um that i really like about the animated series is how bruce wayne is also mm -hmm. a fair yeah. a interesting capable kind of guy he's not the adam west who's just bless his heart <laughs> just he's, he's just <laughs> kind of there and bumbling until he puts on the cape but you know the the animated series makes bruce wayne just as much of a character oh, as yeah. his batman persona yeah. he is not yeah, the an interesting human too often yeah. bruce wayne is as they say as as uh, robert wool says in the 1989 batman bruce vane he's just this yeah. playboy nobody <laughs> nobody likes and in batman and the animated series i was struck by that that bruce wayne is sharp he's a smart businessman he's competent he's, he's negotiating yeah. deals he's got yeah he's like an actual character Nerds like to argue about like which which version is is real like is is Batman Batman or is Batman Bruce Wayne and which one which one is the like the persona versus which one is really him and Batman the animated series does a pretty good job at making them both be people uh which 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 makes that nerd argument you know either more boring or less interesting no it totally takes and, it out right it's like it's the same yeah. guy he he's doing yeah. he's using his brain power as batman he's using his brain power as bruce wayne it's the yeah. same guy he's a smart guy because there are other versions of batman where bruce wayne is just you know a oh, cover yeah. right right well it's you when you go back to the the influences you've got the scarlet pimpernel and zorro where their alter egos are usually just a fop Right. It's like, oh, yeah. the danger. I can't bear the danger. And then you have the shadow where sometimes, depending on who, who was writing it and who was performing it, sometimes Lamont Cranston is fully capable. Sometimes he's a fop, but mostly he's pretty capable. And this Bruce Wayne follows in, in that shadow Lamont Cranston tradition, which, again, I love. And to the 
point we also get episodes that center around bruce wayne where batman is more peripheral which is interesting we Mm. don't see that in a lot of places and full credit once again to kevin conroy who does a great job with two totally like distinct voices like you can always tell (laughs) when he's bruce wayne and you can always tell he's batman and even sometimes when he looks like bruce wayne but he's like talking to alfred or something he'll use the batman voice yeah yeah love it love it so good (laughs) he is so good at conveying those two separate characters let me take a break to tell you about our sponsor it is i cracked now let me explain uh, a few months ago, my wife and I were taking a hike with our son, and uh, she stopped to take a picture, and she wanted to take a selfie of her with our son, uh, with a beautiful mountain in the background, and he was kind of playing like he didn't want to have his picture taken, and uh, there was a slip and a fall, and even though my wife's iPhone was in a really nice case, it landed face down on a rock, and it shattered the screen. It was very sad, and I wish at the time that I had known about iCracked. iCracked provides iPhone and iPad repair. They come to you. It's great for busy professionals, great for businesses, anybody who doesn't have time to wait days or spend hours getting their phones fixed. It's fast, convenient. They provide professional iPhone repair at the time and location of your choosing. At home, at the office, at a coffee shop, wherever they work around your busy schedule. They power a network of 5,000 on-demand phone repair technicians in more than 600 cities around the U.S. All of the technicians are rigorously trained and background checked. They do fast, quality work, and they stand behind it. Every repair comes with a lifetime warranty. So if you find yourself with a broken phone, go to iCracked.com for the best, most convenient, and reliable phone repair. They're providing a special offer for incomparable listeners. You can get a free tempered glass screen protector with your on-demand repair. Request your repair at iCracked.com slash Snell. That's iCracked.com slash Snell. Thanks to iCracked for sponsoring The Incomparable. Tony, do you want to say a little bit about why you picked the episodes you picked for us to watch or rewatch? Sure. Do, do, should we kind of hop through each one and, yeah. and chat about them? Let's All right. do it. So the first one I picked, uh, I, I believe uh, it gets tricky in terms of when you, whether you look at like production numbers or airing order, but I've got it labeled as episode fourteen, Heart of Ice. Uh, you'll notice that we 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 skipped a bunch, right? We didn't I didn't make you watch the first one or the second one or anything like that because Batman the animated series gets something right that. Uh, Movies mm-hmm. seem to be struggling with many decades later in that there is no origin story episode in Batman the Animated Series. We get little bits and flavors of his origin, and that fits into things, especially with uh, there are characters that Bruce Wayne interacts with that knew him before he was Batman, and there's some some backstory episodes and things like that. But there is no origin episode, so I just I, I just jumped many episodes in. Uh, so Heart of Ice is the uh, the introduction of uh, Mister Freeze. Um, Mr. Freeze is one of my favorite Batman villains, and this was kind of a reinvention of the Mr. Freeze character. Uh, he was always kind of a wacky, kind of mischievous kind of character before, and this is like the dark, tragic reimagining of him, uh, where his, uh, he's a cryogenic scientist and his, uh, his wife is killed by, uh, capitalism, <laughs> um, yeah, or an, exactly. an, an, an incompetent slash evil slash CEO, Mark Hamill. slash played by Mark Hamill, or, uh, who, does a variety of voices, most notably the Joker. I had trouble noticing him in this episode because yeah. he uses his actual voice instead of the Joker voice. I was like, why does that voice sound so familiar? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so this is probably not the strongest one, but I did want, uh, I wanted kind of a range of uh, 
Batman villains to appear on the list because there's a lot of. I mean, I the the animated series versions of the Batman villains, in addition to being like the best version of Batman in my in my opinion, it also has some of the best versions of of many of the the classic villains and reinventions slash introductions of villains. I mean, especially Mister Freeze is kind of tragic in that this is like this great reinvention of him, and then like five years later we get the Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> version. <It's> like, <laughs> Which is but, still based on this. Uh, they just, uh, you know, yeah, they lifted mess the, it up the idea badly. Of it. Yeah, you know, well, he's a uh, noted mangled. scientist and decathlete, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, I, mean, I would this... argue this is actually, I think, a fairly, if, if not strong episode. It is really representative of what the animated series winds up doing, yeah. in my opinion, because we as we've got this reimagining of the villain with uh, some depth and some layers to what the original scientist was trying to do and what happens, you know, when his wife dies and, you know, the chemicals condemn him to living in the sub-zero environment. So he's going after revenge on the one person, not the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Batman, even though he stops Mr. Freeze, he also arranges for him to get that revenge because he gives the story of what the capitalist did over to the reporter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a touch that is so often there, that little extra poke into maturity, as we said, um, people's consciences, making people think. Um, that's consistent through so much of the series, and this is one that really shows it. And Ma- Batman makes a point of saying it's not vengeance, it's justice. Yeah, yeah. Right. 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 Yeah, it's it's not a matter of uh, redeeming the villain or making him you know, all friendly by the end, but it's okay for him to be a sympathetic villain, for us to, mm-hmm. to feel for him and to say, all right, maybe you're making the wrong choice. This is not yeah. the way to go about this, but I get it. I get why you're doing this. And Michael Ansara just sells every version <sighs> of this character, both in the flashback as as Victor Freeze, and then in you know progressively uh, being you know full on evil, and then dealing with Batman, who you know he doesn't really want Batman to get in the way, but you know he'll take him out if he has to. And and at the end, uh, it's just heartbreaking when he's in his cell. And, you know, uh, and, and that this was, again, one of the, one, the first ones I saw that just sold me on the show. Uh, and, and you get him coming back in, in lovely ways. The, the later movie that they did, Batman Sub-Zero. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful oh, yeah. story. And so they, they evolve his story and, and the story of his wife. And, and just, you know, again, where are you going to see that in any version of Batman? And also... Um, I believe that Michael Ansara based his vocal performance in part on the poet Robert Frost. If you look online, you can find a recording of Frost reading his poem, Fire and Ice, and you hear, some say the world will end in fire, some in ice, and it's just like, oh, okay, that clicks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, nice. I'm almost certain that's intentional. Which, which is genius. Not afraid to be a little cheesy by having a villain named Freeze go after a CEO named Boyle. Boyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Ching. There's a lot of that. Yeah. 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 Well, the, I believe they won a. Uh, I believe they won a daytime Emmy for yeah, writing. Yes, yes. For this mm-hmm. for this episode too. So note this is one of many just on Tony's list that are written by Paul Dini. Who yeah. Is, yep. Fantastic. Is one of the best Batman writers going, and good enough that you know things like. Uh, Mr. Freeze's origins that he reinvented, or even characters like Harley Quinn, who we'll meet in just a minute, uh, made their way into the other Batman media, uh, even into the comic books. So this, Harley was like the first character to appear in the animated series first. 
and then make her way into the comics. And now, this summer, we'll see even more of her. Hmm. A lot Literally more. and figuratively. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Quite so. So, Tony, um, I didn't like this one. <laughs> Jason. <laughs> Jason. Yeah. I'll be right there. Okay. <laughs> is it's, it you or is it Batman? It's the best episode. Yeah, I, I, but it's good. I, I didn't love it's, this. I didn't uh, love this one. I, maybe it was because it was the first one I watched. I I, I liked all of the other ones better than this one. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fair you, you were entitled to your opinion. And I, yeah, and I I don't know. I, it just seemed this one. I was expecting everything we've said up to now. Like, oh well, this is you know this is a different. It's a darker and more complex storyline and all that. And I thought, <laughs> wow, this is very. It felt very Saturday morning TV to me. It, this this. One mm-hmm. did not feel so complex. It fe- it felt really br- broad and kind of ridiculous. And although I appreciated uh, aspects of the of the writing, and I really liked Michael and Sarah's performance, which I was able to pick out as a Star Trek fan, mm-hmm. I immediately knew that it was him, which was pretty cool. So many great voice actors in all of these episodes. This was my least favorite of them, though. Uh, as, mm-hmm. You know, and that's I, fair. I would say this is the maybe the weakest Mister Freeze episode. You know, it, it's again, it's very early on. It's it's just sort of setting the template. Right. They're still finding their feet. Origin stories. I feel like part of it is, you know, recognizing what the series is up to this point and how it differed from a lot of other series in some ways. So, I mean, I agree with all the things that have been said. I I also do not love this episode. I think I appreciate what's good about it. Um, But I think some of the other ones I I prefer. But I think it's it is still, you know, exemplary of kind of where this Batman is going and shows off so many of the good elements that we talked about, like where Nathan mentioned his mortality and the fact that he's got a cold through this whole thing, which is a detail that I love. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of good in here, and it may not be the, the best exemplar of the whole series, but yeah. Nice job, Tony. <laughs> That's the thing I love about this show. Um, even when it's bad, it's good. Yeah. Even in a terrible yeah. episode, there will be things that you can pick out that are still really strong. And I didn't think it was terrible, but I was like, what am I getting? Seriously, I watched this one. I'm like, uh-oh, what am I getting uh-oh. myself? <laughs> I'm glad you, you kept going. Then I watched episode 22, Joker's Favor, mm-hmm. and I said, oh, yes. <laughs> this is what you're I see yeah. what Tony is doing here. <laughs> so episode 22, uh, Joker's Favor, uh, you had to have a, a Joker episode on the uh, on the list, right? Uh, yes, Joker is Batman's greatest villain, a great performance by Mark Hamill. Um and I think this is probably my, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Joker episodes. It's also the first, this is the introduction of Harley Quinn. Uh, like, this is where that character came from. I think not everybody yeah. knows that, that the, yeah, the character the started episode. on the show. In comic book terms, we call this the first appearance because yep. she's not really introduced. She's just present. Mm-hmm. And we yep. don't learn until I believe there's a later episode that explains there her are. origin. Yeah. But yes. uh, here she just is present there as if she's always yep. been there. Well, and a lot of the episodes are kind of like that, right? Like like Tony mentioned that there's no origin story for yep. Batman, but there's also no origin story or initial f- meeting for the Joker, right? The first episode the Joker appears in, which I think is way back episode two or three. But it's not like he already knows who the Joker is, right? It's not like, oh, there's this guy wandering around calling himself the Joker. He looks like a clown. Guess I should go figure out what his deal is. No, he's already established as, you know, the Batman and Joker are already mortal enemies, if you will, at this point. (laughs) Well, I think that was by design. A lot of the other villains get get backstories, but I think by design they don't humanize the Joker. And this episode shows you why. He's terrifying. He is one of the scariest characters ever in a children's cartoon. So for for people who don't 
you know, can't recall this in shot for shot detail like I can. Uh, the premise of this episode is there's basically an unfortunate road rage incident between the Joker and just a guy who lives in Gotham. Yeah, a guy with a and comb then, over. Yep. <laughs> And then mm-hmm. the Joker basically like meets him on the on the side of the road in the woods and says like I'm gonna come for you in two years or, or and he takes his driver's license and the guy moves and changes his name and the Joker finds him and demands that he show up at a certain place to open a door so Harley Quinn can wheel a bomb into basically you know like a policeman's ball type situation. Yep. Uh, and and uh, again an episode with there's a lot of um a lot of uh, we have a lot through the eyes of that character uh, and the Joker and then Batman is also present. Um, indeed so, there's not yes. a lot of batman but he's he's there when he's needed i love that the guy just curses out the joker right and then he gets super like you know without knowing it's the joker and then we oh, get that right, scene where right. he just keeps following him around <laughs> and just like the whole like the whole thing is essentially like just i'm gonna come to you and ask for a favor someday like you know very mafia like mm-hmm. right yeah um yeah but what i love about this episode is also that in the in the last act as our random guy decides, you know, I'm going to sort of I've I've had enough of the Joker terrorizing me. The Joker freaks out at the end, right? And he's calling for Batman to protect yes. him, which is one of the best moments ever where he was like, whoa, whoa, this guy is actually crazy. This guy's trying to kill me. Like, and it's just such and a great turnabout fault. moment of the Joker realizing it. And then to show like, you know, he threatens him with a bomb, basically. And of course, then the bomb ends up being a dud. Yep. And yeah. Batman cracks up, right? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah, like that, that was him. a good one. Yeah. I mean, it's just so much of that is just delightful and so well constructed as a Joker story and so much more interesting than so many of the Joker stories. I feel like we have gotten more modern where he's a psychopath. We need to show you how yeah. crazy and like brutal and bloody he is, right? Like he's crazy and brutal in this episode, but he's not like... He's not reduced to just some sort of like psychotic killer. He's got weird dimensions, like not say he's sympathetic, but like he's afraid at times too, right? Which is a dynamic we don't often see with mm-hmm. villains. And I love that relationship between him, the the Bat- Batman and the Joker here, because it really feels... It really captures the Joker's madness, just how random he can be. Yeah. Like of all yeah. things, yes. for Capricious. him to fasten yeah. on this poor guy... And not only does he not hurt or kill him, but he's like, no, I'm just you're going to owe me a favor. I'm going to show up and I don't know what my favor is yet, but I'll you know, I'll see <sighs> you around. scarier, right? And makes him his hobby, you know, has a whole little diary keeping track of this guy's moves as he tries to get away. Um, it just yeah. And Mark Hamill just sells it. Oh, my God. Mark, I love that's Mark one of the most Hamill brilliant, so much. Brilliant bits. The laugh out loud moment for me in this episode is in that opening scene on the freeway. Where you see at one point, there's the moment where you realize the Joker is driving the other car, and I just yeah. started to laugh. It's like, boy, if there's anybody to to get into a, you know, get into a, a problem on the freeway with, it would have to be the Joker, right? And it's just he's driving somewhere, who knows where, who knows why, who cares? Just in his station wagon. He's just driving. And his hat. Yeah. He's it's got so his hat. Funny. I love that. Yeah. And funny. the great use of great use of music too. I can still hear the Joker mm-hmm. theme song in my head. Do 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 do. <laughs> yeah it's like playful but kind of menacing about the about the joker's the joker's uh, demeanor i i would just say um i think the joker doesn't have it together that's the impression i get here is he's nuts right and he doesn't have it together and mm-hmm. and you see that in several right. episodes that we watched he he doesn't have it together i like that i like that more than um and honestly the jack nicholson joker in the in batman 1989 is similarly 
just nuts and and Scary. it's actually his it's actually his great flaw it's not only that he's he's crazy and and does these crazy things but it's also he's crazy and that's going to be his downfall and you could argue that like the Heath Ledger uh performance as as the Joker that that guy is much more um together <laughs> and yeah. and then and and just like it's like He's got a shtick, but he's really just a a, a a murderer who's got a shtick. And I don't feel that way with this Joker. This Joker is, you know, he's loony. He just wants to have, like the Riddler, right? He just kind of wants to play. And, yeah. and, and that's good. I like that. I like that. I think that's a good, a fun Joker and also makes him more palatable that he keeps coming back. Because, of course, he's going to keep coming <laughs> back. I actually think the the fact that it's for children and that they have to imply things rather than showing them makes the Joker mm -hmm. even scarier. I mean, yep. yes. it would be scary if oh, the Joker yes. outright killed Charlie, but when he's like, "Oh, I'm going to keep track of you. I'm I'm never going to let you go. You're going to owe me a favor." Your imagination starts wondering, you know, what's what's he going to ask for? Yeah, it, it makes it more powerful because it's left up to your imagination. It's, that recurs, I think, throughout the series, and it's one of the things I love about it, that they they use, they use they let your imagination fill in the gaps, and it makes it even better than if they'd been able to show it outright. Mm, yeah. Agreed. Hey, everybody. If you enjoyed this episode, I want to remind you about another podcast on the Incomparable Network, Cartoon Cast. It's all about animation, featuring Christina Warren and Micah Sargent. Check out cartooncast.co or go to theincomparable.com slash cartooncast. They've already posted nine episodes and there are more on the way about a lot of great animated material. While I'm talking to you, let me also tell you Sophomore Lit has been added to our network. It's a great podcast where people discuss uh, revisiting books that they read in high school and college. It's a lot of fun. There's also our new podcast about the musical Hamilton, Pod for Ham, different panels every week discussing one track from the musical. And if you haven't listened to the Incomparable Game Show yet, please give it a try. A lot of the people that you hear on our various other podcasts playing games every other week, huge amount of fun. It's one of my favorite things that we're doing. And of course, there's a new season of Total Party Kill starting now as well. And finally, check out our Facebook group. It's great. You have to ask to be invited to join, but uh, we will approve you as soon as you ask. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash incomparable pod for the Incomparable's Zeppelin Hanger Facebook group. Tony, uh, you gave you, next. You gave us a two-parter about a uh, killer uh, computer. Yep. So, uh, Heart of Seal, part one and part two. Uh, on my list, those are episodes thirty-eight and thirty-nine. Uh, these are this is a kind of terrifying two-parter where there's basically uh, an evil computer that is churning out replicants of people. No, um, duplicants. Duplicates. Duplicates. Huh, sorry, it's legally right. distinct from replicants. Uh, I will tell you, uh, I probably saw I, I saw this show as a uh, a twelve year old and was totally creeped out by it. Yep. I don't think I saw Blade Runner in pro until probably like nine or ten years later in college, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that, what, the, yeah. that's what this is all about. Yeah, the the, the um, guy who creates the computer is is uh, William Sanderson, mm -hmm. who is in he's Sebastian in Blade Runner. You also may yep. know him as uh, Larry from New Heart, but yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's the reference. Uh, sure, 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 Jason. Larry. Um, actually, it's a <laughs> it's a double reference because he's named Carl Rossum. Um, yes. Carl mm -hmm. Capek wrote Rossum's Universal Robots, which was the first ever uh, play that was the first ever use of the word robot. So t really a triple reference. <laughs> Randa Dwayne's license plate reads R U R, which yeah. is the name of the play. So yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to add that uh, actually the aesthetic of this particular two parter uh, when I started watching it this time at an you know an older age, I realized this. 
it's basically like there's a lot here that's basically like a Hitchcock movie, like meets Invasion of the Body mm-hmm. Snatchers. And again, mm-hmm. this is an episode yeah. that fe- that features heavily and works heavily on Bruce Wayne, not on Batman, right? Yep. Because yeah. they're all trying to be like, oh, let's see if Bruce Wayne's involved. Stuff gets stolen from him. I have to also have to say my favorite, one of my favorite moments involves Bruce Wayne, you know, the security guards being like, oh, you should stay in the security office, yeah. Mr. Wayne. It's too dangerous out <laughs> here. Oh, good. I've happened to install a secret elevator in this corner of the security office uh-huh. just in case I ever got locked <laughs> Every corner of that building has that. <laughs> it's all elevators. They're all load-bearing elevators. I think this might be the first time in the series that anybody else figures out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Yeah. And what they don't count on is that Bruce Wayne is as formidable an opponent as Batman. Right. Exactly. That's the cliffhanger at the end of the first episode is yeah. <laughs> Bruce Wayne is Batman. Let's send his computer after him. He gets c- taken over by the Bat computer, which has been taken over by Hardak. The uh, <laughs> the supercomputer, super intelligent AI computer created by William Sanderson's uh, kind of how like Doctor Rosman. He's very how like, very how like. Yeah, uh, visually, I mean, the whole series takes the the Max and Dave Fleischer Superman cartoons from the fifties as a big visual influence. Uh, so yeah, huge, it really comes huge, out in this one. Yeah, this it's so Fleischer. Yeah. Superman uh, throughout, I thought, but especially. Oh, here. yeah. Oh, that's through the whole series. Yes. Yeah. But this this one, especially the robots. I liked Heart of Steel. I thought it was I thought it was fun. I thought the idea of a two parter that you essentially get a uh, you get an hour long TV show basically by bre- by breaking it in two. Um, but you got killer robot duplicates and stuff. And well, uh, and, and uh, let's not forget to mention the first appearance in the series yes. of Bar- Barbara, Barbara Gordon. Gordon. I was going to say, yes. Played here mm-hmm. by Melissa Gilbert. Yeah, yes. as a twelve as a twelve year old boy, such a crush on Barbara Gordon. Aww. Just saying. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> she she was suspicious when her father was replaced in the exactly. other room she's by a robot competent. duplicate. Yeah, right away. She's, she's competent smart. and she's active and she has agency and she like yeah. Well, I mean, granted, if my dad came back in and like smacked my I am fine. Off the, off yeah, that the was couch. a pretty clear <laughs> clue. <laughs> and I love the I love the detail with the teddy bear. That's that's Chekhov's teddy bear. Yeah, the, the, it's it's introduced, you know, in her purse, and, and I was worried that, like, this would infantilize the character, but then she mentions that it's something her dad brought along, and right. then yeah, Gordon yeah. picks up the bear and blushes. It not only makes her a stronger character, it makes Gordon uh, a sweeter and a deeper character. And Jim exactly. Gordon is great in this episode, in this whole series. I love this this yeah. version of Jim Gordon. Yeah. Uh, having watched outside of our assigned reading, I had to watch the Batgirl origin episodes. <laughs> Wooby re- returns in the Batgirl origin episodes briefly. Yep. So, yeah, the the consistency, the attention to detail that they maintain is great. And I noticed that this was one of the rare episodes of the series written by a woman, which is probably one of the reasons why Barbara Gordon is portrayed so intelligently and so competently, uh, which is awesome. This episode kind of leaves me cold, which is weird because there's a ton of great stuff about it. The weird crab-like motions of the robots, the whole elevator sequence, Barbara Gordon, um, the the Miyazaki-like designs. But for some reason, this this was my least favorite Hmm. of the ones we watched. Yeah, the weird, it's a robot who's also a briefcase. Oh, yeah. that was pretty great. <laughs> I know what Jason likes. Jason likes robots. Yeah, the season yeah. where or, or the scene where uh, where you get the guys <laughs> who are the the duplicates who try to you know assimilate Bruce Wayne and do the like spider crawl thing with the rotating head. Oh, that, yeah, that is still oh, that super was creepy, creepy though. 
That, that must have been freaky as a 12-year-old. Oh, man. I just want to see the episode about the Wayne Industries janitor who accidentally discovers the secret elevator in the security room. Yeah. <laughs> Where the hell am I? I just touched the file cabinet. If you don't have the bat ring or whatever, it just doesn't open. So you would never know unless you've got Bruce's uh, special bat ring. <laughs> to, to the point about being mature earlier and about things you can show and can't show, it's kind of, sh- no, no pun intended, shocking when they kill Bullock, right? And you're like, whoa, yes. like, oh, my God, they yeah. threw him into this thing. And and obviously, Barbara, especially, who's, you know, yeah. helps and basically does that is is aghast at what she's done <laughs> when she thinks she's killed, you know, Harvey Bullock. And yeah. of course, it turns out to be a robot. That man's a little cavalier about that. Maybe yeah, he's he like, figures that, like it's Clayface in disguise or something. But he has no qualms about tossing Harvey Bullock into a giant spotlight. Well, I mean, yeah, have you met Harvey Bullock? I mean, yeah, I was yeah. say. <laughs> but Harvey Harvey's another great character. And I love him yes. because he's a total jerk but he's also basically a good guy you know he has good motives he wants to do good things he just disagrees with batman and he's personally obnoxious but that doesn't mean he's a bad cop right head head cannon batman can tell the difference between harvey bullock and the harvey bullock replicant by smell alone Uh, (laughs) also barbara barbara rescues batman right she goes into the building that's gonna blow up and she helps him helps him out which shows her her medal as a future hero right right here not that she's made of metal. She's not a robot. They lay great groundwork here for her as Batgirl. Yeah. And then, and it's really, it makes sense then later on when she decides to do that, right? Because right. like, it's, been, it's been put down there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that touch at the end where it's like, you know, ah, that was a little dangerous. She goes, ah, I kind of had fun. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> we need to move through the rest of these because uh, we got a lot more still to talk about. Um, the next one is a Riddler episode. If you're so so smart, why aren't you rich? We just said in the episode. Yep. Another uh, evil CEO creates a, a supervillain. I know. In Gotham, it's like open chemical vats and CEOs who are just too greedy, leading causes of vil- villain creators. This is funny because um, Bruce Wayne is thinking of buying this company. And, and he apparently, uh, while doing his due diligence, he discovers that they've cheated. Uh, the Riddler out of his royalties and the Riddler is really mad. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the Riddler. The Riddler is my favorite Batman villain uh, because he attempts to thwart or challenge Batman with, with puzzles and, and mysteries. And, and those are things that I personally enjoy. Uh, and I like, I mean, I think I like the quality of the puzzles that he presents Batman with in this. I think they're uh, pretty consistently amusing or clever or both. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of the Riddler. I think the Riddler only appears in, maybe three episodes in the entire animated series. Oh, and really? I just, Is that I, it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but those yeah, episodes they really stand out. Yeah. They had far more interesting villains to play with. I mean, what's the Riddler but just sort of like a cut-rate Joker? Oh, I mean, I, li- so I love wrong. him. So I wrong. love him. No, no, no. But I'm oh. saying, compared to, say, Mr. Freeze or Ra's al Ghul or Poison Ivy or, I mean, you can just go through the whole list. Well, he's jo- oh, but John Glover. John Glover is so oh, good he's great. the Riddler. He's great. Yeah, and I don't know. It's, it's not like... He- at least in this series, I don't think that the Riddler and the Joker are all that comparable. Um, the Joker, yes, he creates some puzzles and some mysteries, but the Riddler's on this whole other level. I mean, this yes. this this episode shows just that this man is brilliant. And even though he is brilliant, he is not world-wise enough to take care of himself and therefore is denied uh, the money he should have been owed and therefore goes over the edge and turns himself into um, into the Riddler. Uh, I liked this episode quite a bit, not only because of the Riddler, um, but also because of Robin, because I'm I'm a bit of a yeah, Robin man. fan. You know, you guys crushed on Batgirl when you were kids. I crushed on Robin. <laughs> um, He's really and, bad at video games, though. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but Atari, but Atari games. <laughs> but he's smart enough to, um, you know, he's able to solve some of the riddles that Batman, you know, doesn't realize. Yeah, uh, he he. It shows a good team going on in this yeah. episode once they get going, and I like that. Um, I like the the Robin thing as well, and that he solves some of the puzzles, and that you know, again, Batman uses smarts to basically break mm-hmm. the rules of the game and win. Yeah, yeah he hijacks um, the floating hand of fate and flies it like a sort of flying surfboard kind of thing. And uh, go cheats goes to the center of the maze. So many safety violations in this amusement park. It is just <laughs> yeah. Gotham Gotham City citizens are incredibly blasé about personal danger. Um, I mean, they, they go to amusement parks that are wildly dangerous. In the Harley and Ivy episode later, they openly hoot at Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, both of whom they should know by sight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also liked in this episode how um at the end you get similar to heart of ice you get that bit at the end this time the revenge is not as um obvious or judiciary i guess as it was uh but yeah the the riddler is terrifying this man who robbed him and is going to be terrifying him for the rest of his life and that's a, a fairly powerful ending i think Oh yeah, yeah, it's with, really yeah. dark and creepy. That's that is yeah. the the thing that stuck with me for years after seeing this episode. I like that um the economics of Batman, which is that Wayne Enterprises buys Competitron, this company, and it brings jobs to Gotham City. So apparently this is Bruce Wayne's business model is he he buys companies in other cities, fires all the people, moves the intellectual <laughs> property to Gotham and then hires people from Gotham <laughs> to run them. I guess. Okay, whatever, Bruce. Have whatever. You're the rich guy. You can do what you want. Anything for Gotham. Yeah. I guess bringing jobs to the city. It's important. Um, okay. Almost got him. Number 46. Ah, this is good. my favorite episode. <laughs> my uh, favorite. Almost, almost got him is the, the premise of the episode. There's a twist. But the premise is that uh, a bunch of Batman villains are just hanging out in a, a very sketchy pool hall playing poker and talking about the times they almost got Batman. Uh, so it's great because it's almost like three mini episodes in one. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a great framing device. And we get these little stories from the point of view of uh, Poison Ivy, uh, the Joker, the Penguin, and kind of a story from Killer Croc. Uh, and Two-Face. And Two-Face. <laughs> and Two-Face, yeah. So I um, will never forget, as I told Tony when I watched this episode, emblazoned in my memory is the delivery of, I threw a rock at him, <laughs> yeah. which yeah, it was, was a big rock. It was a big rock. But then the twist, Dan, is uh, he's Batman. Spoiler, that was not too, that was not Killer Croc, but Batman pretending what? to be Killer Croc. I know, which is kind of mean of Batman. Even when you think better, <laughs> even better. Well, he figured but, out when po- when it was poker night. Apparently, it was the only way to save Catwoman. But yeah. it's funny because if you watch the other episodes with Killer Croc, he's actually not stupid. So clearly, Batman is playing him as stupid because he assumes that all the rest of these guys think he's stupid. Yeah. And some of the little stories they tell are just, I think, particularly over the top. The penguin has the most birdtastic uh, penguin <laughs> vigilante story. The aviary of doom. It, his aviary of doom. He's got a cassowary. He's got uh, hummingbirds that are poisonous. It's, uh, it is the most penguin. <laughs> ba- in, Batman uh, like, uses a, a hummingbird to stab another bird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Two Face steals of two million dollars in two dollar bills. Yep, <laughs> that's inefficient. Well, and that one that one is straight so out of the comics because it's yeah. got the giant penny. The giant penny. So it's, okay, it's even it's even more plausible than the comic book version. To so be fair, this one of two episodes we watched, I think. Oh wait, sorry, no, I watched the second one in which he is also trapped beneath the giant coin. Giant, <laughs> giant penny. <laughs> that's the only way to stop yeah. Two Face. Yeah, that's right. 
I love yeah. the attention to detail in this episode. All the little yes. things, that, how they open on the character's hands and you can tell so much about which one is the Joker or Two-Face just by their hands. You yeah. see the Joker pulling a uh, an ace from his yeah. sleeve. Yep. You see Two-Face pouring half and half into his coffee. I, I love And holding that... on to twos. The, the Two-Face has always got Yeah, he pairs. keeps the twos, yeah. 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 I love the Joker taking a look at Two-Face's cards as he pretends, pretends to wipe a tear from his eye. And I love that this episode shows why the Joker's different from all the other villains. When the Joker mentions what his plan is to do with Catwoman, namely grind her up and turn her into cat food, all the other villains, these dangerous criminals and psychopaths, are shocked and yes, horrified. they're disgusted mm-hmm. by it. And I, I love that like the only human thing about the Joker in the series is that his commitment to being a total jerk. That's the one real thing that humanizes him, is that no matter what, no matter who he's with, he's going to be a jerk to them. <laughs> I also love that they, this is the episode in the uh, when he saves Catwoman eventually and Harley's like, you can only save, you can only save, you know, the classic, you can only save them or catch me. And it's like, I've got two hands. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that great line from Harley you know, I had a cat once. They don't always land on their feet. And you think about it for a moment and you realize, oh, my God, Harley Quinn killed her cat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, also, full, uh, like the animation in this episode, much better. And my personal favorite shot is when the, the Killer Croc is revealed to be Batman and it's the lamp swinging. Yes. And it's yeah. the silhouette. Oh, yes. so good. Yep. Such a good. And again, without like. You know, you don't have to state it outright, right? Like, there's, there's, it's subtle. It's nice. I like it. Yeah, mm-hmm. this episode is perfect. I've seen whole seasons of television that aren't as entertaining as this one mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And it has the nice tag at the end where Catwoman mm-hmm. is rescued and kind of uh, makes her pitch to Batman about how they could uh, do wonderful things together. And uh, he disappears and she goes, oh, I almost got him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I put yeah. I put the watch list in just in basically chronological order. Uh, but I would probably like, if I was trying to get somebody into Batman, the animated series, this is the episode I would start with. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't think there's any reason you can't just start with this one. And it's so delightful. It is. Yeah. I, I remember watching it for the first time and thinking, Oh, they ran out of money. They're doing a clip show. And then thinking, wait a minute, I haven't seen any of these no. clips. Right. Before. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> so uh, next is I am the night, Tony. So I Am the Night is an extremely dark episode of uh, Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like the it's the, the, the this happens in a couple episodes where there's some, you know, it's the anniversary of his parents' death and he has to go to Crime Alley and place the, the roses. Uh, and basically Batman is dealing with that at the same time that there is a, uh, a shootout between uh, a gangster and the police and Commissioner Gordon gets uh, severely wounded uh, by the jazz man, um, who is just a gangster uh, with a lot of guns. Uh, but Batman does basically has to like do this like soul searching like what is the point of all this like do I want to keep being Batman kind of kind of question which is uh pretty dark and heavy for a kids show right I I thought this was great this is the first one I watched when we did the rewatch and I was just like man this is a kids show like yeah it has yeah. you know there's there's fairly complex not just ideas and thoughts in here where Batman's considering you know giving stuff up and am I really making a difference but like some of the dialogue in here too I feel like they're like. I mean, they're quoting like philosophers and stuff to like him and Leslie to each other. And and it's it's kind of fascinating. I can't remember the like, you know, how deep and and thoughtful so much of this was. I really I love this episode. It's kind of like the polar opposite of Almost Got Him. But I think it may be one of the other really best episodes of this show. Oh, absolutely. Except for the Batman helps a troubled teen storyline, which feels like something the network shoved in. Leave Seth Seth Green Green alone. Doing his best Michael J. Fox. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, totally doing Michael J. Fox. A lot of things that this series does in little and big ways is setting up that you think one thing, but it turns out that the opposite happens. So they set up the Seth Green character uh, to be a bit of a problem, a small-time uh, small petty thief. Um, and Batman's response is to dump him at the mission that uh, Leslie works at, or if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, and then so the next time Batman sees him, Batman makes the mistake and assumes the kid is still trouble, to, only to discover that, guess what? He has made a difference or by his actions. They've made a difference in this kid's life. So I actually like that. Um, I like that a lot, that, you know, big and small, the ways, you know, Batman can save an entire city, he can save the entire planet, he can also make a difference in this one kid's life and not even realize that he did it. And the value is that at the end, what you get is you get this is the thing that turns Batman around. And I think that's kind of kind of nice that punching people is not the thing that that gives Batman his kind of renewed purpose. It's like this is a very human thing. It's like, oh, look, you know, I, I do I do make a difference and I can change people's lives. And yeah, it's a little sappy, but I, I get why they did it, that that it's not what you expect, where he's like, you know, again, I punched you in the face. Now I feel much better about myself and my job. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the stuff that, you know, the doubting, he, he you know, when he's talking to Robin and saying, like, they sell T-shirts of me, like, I've become a cliche, <laughs> like, that, just that idea is, like, you know, and it talks to the whole Batman mythos overall, right? Like, is he a cliche as far as, hero, you know, comic book characters and all that? And I, to a certain extent, maybe, but, like, it is interesting for, you know, a character within the show to think about that. Hey, anytime I, uh, an animated uh, series theoretically for kids quotes Nietzsche, it's uh, an interesting yeah. episode, <laughs> is what yeah. I'm saying. I love Kevin Conroy's delivery of, you are a hero, Jim. Oh, yeah. Just, so oh, gets oh. you right there. Yeah. Well, and, and, and this, this again speaks to the maturity of the writing in that, you know, this isn't just saying, oh, look, superhero beats up bad guys, right? He, it, it's asking the kids who are watching. To think about their, this hero on multiple levels in multiple dimensions to say, OK, is he a cliche or, or to even to even doubt the idea that he's a good idea. Right. That, you know, that's amazing. And then to have, you know, you're a hero too, Jim. Right. To say that, yeah, perfectly normal mortal human being over here is just as much of a hero. Which, you know, that speaks to me as the viewer. It goes, again, going to the aspirational part. It's like, it's okay. And it's okay to have doubts. And it's okay to work through them. Well, plus there's the element of, you know, and this goes back around to the idea of a mortal Batman. And that another line that I remembered just verbatim, you know, from watching this episode 20 years ago was the, you know, sooner or later I'll go down. It might be the Joker or Two-Face or just some punk who gets lucky. And you got the idea like, yeah, I mean, sooner or later he's going to slip up and make a mistake because he's only human. And that to me is kind of fascinating, you know, to look at the mortality of our superheroes and, and, you know, especially in a character who's predicated on, on loss and grief. Um, I think it's fascinating to really think about that because so often our, uh, you know, our comic book heroes are treated as either immortal, like can't be hurt or treated as, well, they doesn't matter if they're hurt or killed. It's comic books. We'll just bring them back to life. And this is a Batman who is, you know, preoccupied with the idea of sooner or later, I will fail. Did I make a difference in the Mm -hmm. overall of the city? 
Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say for uh, to Nathan, really quick to Nathan's point, there's a Robert Frost quote in this episode because he tells mm-hmm. La- Leslie he has promises to keep. See, kids, you don't even, you don't even need to go to school. Just have your kids watch, watch Batman. Batman. <laughs> Batman 101. Yep. This is the, uh, the common core pro- provided by the Church of Batman. Uh-oh. Yeah, no, it's good. No Batman left behind. <laughs> All right, moving on to Harley and Ivy, Tony. All right. Uh, well, this is another episode that is uh, not as much about Batman as people in the Batman uh, world. Uh, you know, kind of one of the big questions about Harley Quinn is why does she put up with all of that crap from the Joker, who seems to be not the greatest uh, romantic partner? And so the premise of the episode is, you know, basically what happens if she finally is done with his crap and uh, walks out on him after a fight? And the answer is uh, she falls in with uh, poison ivy and they paint the town red. Um, and it's just, I think it's it's a fun exploration of that character. I know that that's a relationship that then gets kind of ported over into the comics. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's fun to see. I mean, I think there are other episodes later where we get even a little bit more um, Harley. Uh, I think it's later we get her backstory for real. Um but I, I, I like the episodes, you know, I like Batman a lot, but I like the episodes that are, you know, Batman is a little bit more in the background than others. This is another Paul Dini episode. Uh, and I think it's it's fun to explore, you know, what would it be like for uh, two women supervillains to just like, you know, tear Gotham apart because, uh, which, you know, is very frustrating both to Batman and uh, to the Joker hilariously. Oh, yes, they're hilariously. Just <laughs> headline after headline of jewel heists and, and other things that they are just uh, <laughs> totally getting away with because they are a super competent team. I like it when there's people that are that are good at their jobs and they like it. And that's that's Harley Quinn and, and Poison Ivy <laughs> ripping yeah. off yeah. So having not been exposed to a lot of Harley Quinn, what, what I found amusing about this character is that she's kind of like a, an old time movies dame. Like mm. she's she's mm-hmm. got she's got the she's got the kind of New Yorky accent and she's like she's super got the patois yeah and she's got the like she's very credulous about things that she should not be credulous about she's just like oh yeah like she called like the Joker she's like well I gotta go you know she's like he's got a, he's he's plotting and she's just having a phone call with him it's kind of adorable that she's just uh you know she only ha- seems to have the one level um, but I do also like that the fact that. Um, Poison Ivy, you know, she and Poison Ivy have this good, uh, a good time, but they, it kind of clicks in a way, whereas the Joker is just so mean to her. So uh, I, I like this episode, too. Yeah, Poison Ivy says at one point in Almost Got Him, she's immune to the pain and suffering of others, but she really cares about Harley, which yeah. makes her a better character. Um, and she actually comes out and calls Harley a victim, which, you know, is pretty huge when you think about it. Very yep. delicate. The balance is incredible. Yeah. But yes, it's pointing out domestic abuse, domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And, and and yet, you know, you've... Yeah. Well, there's subtext all over the place in this yeah. episode. Oh, yeah. I remember as a teenager wondering where Harley and Ivy's pants had gone when they were hanging around the house. <laughs> uh, never having seen anything like that in a cartoon before. Yeah. And yet, when I go back and watch it now, it's not grotesquely exploitative. They're just hanging out. They're just being pals. Yeah. That's yeah. what girls wear when they're hanging out by themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. uh, I was going to say I like the, particularly the ending where they're trying to get away and they proclaim loudly, no man can take us prisoner. And then I believe yep. Renee Montoya shows up. Renee Montoya. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's great <laughs> yes, like to, to have. Take him out. And I will say uh, just to say like uh, about this and I think overall I feel like a lot of the portrayal of both women and minorities in this show is kind of ahead of its time and I think especially in the current environment where we we're very hyper aware of that or should be hyper aware of that I think this show is 
is subtle and effective in the way it does that. I was noticing in watching other episodes as I went back how often the background characters are multicolored of both genders even just like the cops driving by in some episodes you know you got a lot of female cops you got a lot of you know persons of color in in a variety of roles across this series and i think that's fantastic it really feels representative and as a as a kid watching this certainly i feel like i internalize that and so you know in some ways looking at the media as we see it today uh and looking back you know 20 years i feel like sometimes we were ahead of ourselves 20 years ago <laughs> Well, and I, I love Renee Montoya, and especially later in the comics, seeing her as the mm-hmm. central figure in Gotham Central. That was that was wonderful. I'm still waiting for the the animated version of her as the question someday. Yep. Oh yes. Yep. <laughs> I'm I'm all for it. Okay, so that brings us to the Demon's Quest parts one and two. Viewers of Arrow mm. may uh, <laughs> may be amused by this since it's some characters that uh, got ported over to Arrow, but uh, and, and Ra- plot lines. appropriated and plot lines. <laughs> it's a racial Ra- ghoul remixed. <laughs> so tell, tell us, Tony, The Demon's Quest, part one and two. So this is not uh, the first appearance of racial ghoul, but it's the kind of like the big two part. Uh, it's arc that he gets in uh in in batman the animated series uh the league of shadows i believe is what they're called because maybe calling them the league of assassins is too scary for 11 year olds um <laughs> so they had, they had previously appeared in a in an episode uh there was a count vertigo steals a, a gun uh and there's a very hitchcock x episode where batman has to like uh like close his eyes and fight, fight people to avoid being uh losing his uh, his powers due to vertigo but anyway in this episode uh, this is another episode that i really like because uh the show has very different tones at times like i like that heart of steel is this like science fiction horror episode and this is almost like you're kind of like indiana jones globetrotting uh episode uh, slash where, james bond slash that james bond. that's what i kept thinking um, where uh slash richard kipling adventure yeah where batman is theoretically uh looking for um he he ends up um kind of globetrotting because uh, Robin has been abducted and Rachel Gould shows up and says, my daughter Talia, who you met before has also been abducted. Let's team up and, and trot around the globe and see what we can find out. But, uh, you will not, if people who are in, in any way familiar with Batman or, or Arrow will not be surprised to find out that Rachel Ghoul is the actual villain. He is not just someone looking to try to find his daughter. And he's in fact, uh, <laughs> he's actually testing Batman because he believes Batman is capable of being his replacement. Um, so we, we get a bunch of globetrotting, we get appearances of the Lazarus Pit, um, and we get this kind of epic showdown where they, they're fighting next to this Lazarus Pit, and there's a there's an evil satellite that's going to destroy the world. So this is, you know, the the Joker is kind of like the, the classic Batman rival, but in the animated series, Rachel Ghoul is like the biggest villain. I think that Batman feeds, uh, has to encounter in terms of he's basically like this uh, eco-terrorist that's almost successful. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is I, I like this. I mean, this episode feels like like an action movie that happens to be two twenty two minute animated. This one struck me as the most comic book of all the episodes we watched, partly because this was the one instance, at least in our episodes and possibly in the whole series, where Batman saves the entire world and there's no Justice League around yet helping him. Well, that's that's in part because it's based on the comics and it's written by mm-hmm. Dennis O'Neill, the guy who wrote the right. comics and, and created Rachel Ghoul. On the other hand, this was actually my least favorite of the selection. It, For whatever reason, mm-hmm. this one particularly felt like it was kind of padded, kind of drawn out, um, that if they weren't trying to fill like two entire episodes that didn't need to be as long as it was um you know poor robin is just you know he gets abducted and then he's pretty much baggage the rest of the way 
Um, so this one didn't keep my attention the way the others did for some reason. I'm on the other side from Shannon on this one. I really, <laughs> Rachel Ghoul is one of my favorites and I really like him here, especially, uh, David Warner from, yeah, so great. Long time yes, actor. Perfect. I love his delivery. Um, I love the testing, the fact that immediately he's like, oh yeah, uh, I totally figured out your Bruce Wayne, by the way, cause it's really not that hard. Um, <laughs> yeah, I went to basically like, who can afford all the crap that Batman has yep. and I have a description of you and basically I just ran some cross-referencing. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, the plan is comic booky and over the top, and I think that's why it definitely feels James Bondish to me, especially at the end with the satellites destroying the world. I agree about that. Uh, the stakes are a little more uh, heightened uh, than a lot of the other episodes, but it does feel to me it, it comes off feeling epic in a lot of places, uh, especially as they sort of there's both this go back and this uh, like battle of the wits going on between between uh, Batman and Rachel Ghoul. As Batman's like, well, I think this guy's not on the level, but I, I don't want to let him into that. And Rachel Ghoul's testing him and all that back and forth. And I really enjoy that. I enjoy evil Rachel Ghoul after he gets thrown into <laughs> Lazarus Pit, just jumps out all buff, laughing maniacally. <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> Um, it's not an episode without problems. There's definitely, uh, you know, to, to re- not retract, but put a dent in my, my previous statement about the re- representations of, uh, minorities and people of color. <laughs> this one gets a little, uh, a little cliche there, uh, yeah. and just, a just, bit. just possibly just kind just of, uh, offensive, but, yeah. and um, poor Helen Slater doesn't get to do a whole lot as Talia. No, yeah. no, she, this is she true. does get to snap Rachel Ghoul out of his his crazy coma, which I thought was a nice little moment of agency for yeah. the character. But yeah, mostly she's just, hey, I'm standing around here looking hot and slinky and doing nothing. Yeah, the the uh, boob window, unfortunate, the the worst yeah. boob window this side of uh, Power Girl, I guess. Um, and also there is or, a painful moment, sisters. Yeah, painful moment when uh, when he's trying to re- supposedly recruit Batman to be the new, you know, his replacement because he's dying. Except then he goes in the Lazarus pit and he's not dying. And uh, he's like, "No, I must have a new man to replace me." And it's like, uh, "Yeah, you had to say a yeah. new man. Your daughter is standing right there. Right she's, there. She seems she's got a lot <laughs> going on, but it's like, nope, not going to do that. All she's got is her. Yeah, she she's just there." To, to reference Batman and to ha- look pretty, and it's it's unfortunate. Yeah. And keeping one of the better places, I think, that the Arrow version of the story did, which was actually have the daughter be like, why not me? Yeah. And, yeah. and there's no good yeah. answer why not, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, you are very competent. You should probably do this, not uh, not the hero. Yeah. At least uh, at least this version of Rachel Gula seems to actually have a like an interest and an agenda other than just the perpetuation of his own secret society. Though. Yeah. No, he's, he's, he's yeah, super he's charismatic. For the world. David Warner is super charismatic. Uh, it works really well on that on that score. I liked it when he's dying, dying, except, you know, then they, they you put him in a Lazarus pit. He's got a moment that's very reminded me very much of his scene in Star Trek six where he's dying. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> don't let it in this way, Batman. Um, but uh, but he's really good. And, you know, yeah, the the his some of his henchmen are, are super stereotypy. But I do like the fact that he is so sharp and uh, and uh, charismatic and such a really interesting villain in a way that the over the top. You know, a lot of the old timey villains and DC's got more of those in Marvel just because it it, it was it is older um, where there's like a, a super simple concept that is the entire concept for that villain. You see this in the Flash a lot. One of the things I like about Rayshawn Ghoul is that he's not that he's like, 
He's a mastermind is his thing. He's not yeah. like telling jokes or turning things into ice. He's just super smart and kind of deranged and evil. And uh, I like that. I like his depth of character. Yeah, he's he's not going to try and kill you with a giant penny. Right. He's he's trying to save the world. Yeah. Or or, or ask you a series of riddles or, or, right. or play a practical joke on you. He's that's not what he's about. Yes. He's going to he's going to reset the world to a better state where the human population is, you know, only 10 percent of what it is now. Yeah. That's right. So. I'm, I'm with Dan on this one, because uh, even with the problems with some of the characters, uh, I just I love the scale of it and the scope of it. And if this were every episode, I wouldn't like it as much. But it's the only one. It's it's like this one little, you know, it's like, see, we can do the globetrotting adventure and we can have the immortal villain who's insane in a different way. Um, and at, at the time when I first saw it, I had never heard of Rachel. Mm, yeah, me neither. And I went out and I bought the Tales of the Demon uh, trade paperback and just poured through all the stuff and went, oh, my God, Denny O'Neill. And then and that sort of led me through the seventies era. Cause I really hadn't followed the comic books at all. Um, and, and so I, I just, I got to discover this whole new realm of Batman stories and this whole new depth of Batman that I had no idea about. So, so I will always like this episode just for introducing me to that. And, and the Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams version of Batman. All right. So what did we learn about Batman, the animated series? We walked, uh, we've walked through them. Um, if I'm, I'm curious, well, I'll, let me give you my report as a new viewer and then maybe we'll go around and everybody can say some last thing they love, uh, but maybe an episode we didn't watch that you want to recommend. Um, I, uh, I, like I said, I didn't like the first one, but I liked, uh, the rest of them. I thought it was really smart. I love how the look of it. I love that old style, you know, Fleischer Superman, uh, cartoon kind of, uh, uh, influence, um, great voice casting, some amazing voice casting in hindsight, you can really tell, um, you know, you look at the cast list and you're like, wow, this is just amazing collection of people. Um, so, uh, yeah, I thought it was really smart and fun. And working in a format that's kind of unforgiving, right? I mean, to tell a complete story in 22 minutes, I can see why they do the two-parters because that that it's really tough if you're going to tackle this stuff to to tell a story this fast. And they pack a lot in. It's they're 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 very dense and very fun. Um, the economics of storytelling in it are impressive. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I like that. It, I like that at times it has a sense of humor too, like that moment that we mentioned where Batman Batman uh, laughs. Um, the, uh, the, the Batman animated series that I watched the most is actually Batman, the brave and the bold, because it was coming out at exactly the right age for my son to become obsessed with it. And so I watched a lot of those. And the thing I liked about that, and that was a much lighter, lighter tone, but the thing I loved about that series was Batman it can be very funny and not not necessarily in the campy Adam West way, but in the very super dry Batman way where he's seen it all. He's a little bit weary um, and he can comment on the goings on around him in a way that, you know, he's got, he's so serious and the villains are all so wild that he, it, it makes room for a lot of really dry, hilarious commentary. And I love that about Batman, the brave and the bold, but there is some of that here. Um, and every time I got something like that, I just loved it because I feel like that's like we don't we don't we don't see that enough of Batman's wry commentary about all the stupid things that are going on around him. And I enjoy it when when it happens. So, yeah, I liked it um, as a as a return viewer or as a as a new viewer I, uh, who, who missed it the first time around. 
So that's my that's my take. Okay, let's go around and and if you've got any last thoughts and an episode that uh, you love, maybe that wasn't on Tony's Tony's excellent top ten list. Uh, David, what do you think? Ah, uh, well, I mean, I love so many episodes, but you I get already, one, David, one. Well, yeah, I, I I will I will pick the two feature films because Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero is brilliant. Well, part of one, didn't you understand? Yeah. I love the fact that Mask of the Phantasm gave my father nightmares. I, I just like where we awesome. asked you to pick one episode and you pick two, I'm, movie, I'm two picking, movies. I'm picking Sub-Zero. My so sub, pick so, Mask so of the David picks uh, the first 22 minutes of Sub-Zero. Nathan, what about you? <laughs> Beware the Grey Ghost. Um, Batman has ah, a scene oh, yes. with an out-of-work actor who played his childhood superhero idol, play, played by Adam Voiced West. Voiced by Adam West. <laughs> yes, it's a beautiful performance. It's moving. It's funny. Um, it works on multiple levels. It's maybe his best Batman performance ever. It's maybe Adam West's <laughs> best performance ever, period. Yeah. Shannon? Um, oh, there's still so many. Um, okay, I'm going weird with Sideshow, which is um, a, one that features Killer Croc, who, uh, in trying to escape Batman, falls in with this um, group of circus freaks that, you know, are no longer with a circus and just trying to survive together. And, you know, for a sh- short, brief moment of time, Killer Croc has found his tribe. And people that, you know, accept him for who he is, don't judge him, don't think he's horrifying, you know. And then, of course, you know, Batman has to come and take him back because he was committing crimes when Batman was chasing him. Um, just the the way they explore from the side so many of these classic characters or introduced characters in such a way that they are multidimensional, that there's more to them than just um, than just being bad. That's one of the things I love about this series. Dan, what about you? Uh, the one thing I, f- I forgot to mention overall that I really want to mention, a couple things. One, I love the title cards. Uh, not mm-hmm. something you see done in a lot of other shows of this ilk. They're beautifully animated. And you get the writer and director like really up front, which I feel like is something that was not also acknowledged in a lot of other animated shows of this era. Um, two, just to take away, like sort of, you know, we're talking about the character of Batman up front. And I think for me, again, I internalized a lot of what was shown here, uh, this version of Batman in terms of like the on the code of honor, I think, I think informed a lot of, you know, just personally, like things that I think about, like, well, there's justice and fair play, like those are all really important qualities here. And this Batman is not someone who has spent like constantly watching them toe the edge. This is someone who is has a strong code and adheres to it pretty much the whole way through with occasion, you know, a couple minor doubts here and there, but I think, you know, essentially always tries to do the right thing. And that is, that is what we look for in our heroes. And in particular, that's what informed, you know, my understanding of, of superheroes and heroes in general. So, so I, I really appreciate that. Uh, as for favorite episodes, I already mentioned I'm a big Batgirl fan, so I actually watched Shadow of the Bat Parts 1 and 2 for this, and I will say that those are uh, personally, I think, one of my other favorite episodes. So, Love those two. Yes. Yeah, they're they're great. They're they're one. They're one episode in two yes. parts. Okay, and Tony, uh, did you uh, do you have a favorite episode that's not among the ten that you yourself picked? <laughs> um, well, my list I was heavily slated toward episodes that are my favorite. Um, the one that that didn't make my list, uh, I would have put uh, Shadow of the Bat as the, was the next on the list. Uh, but Dan picked it, which is great. Uh, the next one I probably would have added on the list is more of a personal favorite for me. I don't know if it has as much broad appeal. Uh, the Man Who Killed Batman. Uh, yeah. The yes. premise of that yes. is yes. Sid the Squid, who's kind of a, a nebbish, incompetent uh, ga- wannabe gangster, appears to have inadvertently killed Batman and 
basically uh, wins the uh, adoration of all the other like hoods in Gotham, uh, but then gets like interrogated by Rupert Thorne and then later abducted by the Joker, who and who brings him to like a funeral for Batman, uh, who is outraged that uh, not only is Batman dead, but that Sid the Squid killed him. Spoiler that's, alert. Bat- yeah, that's the Batman's one human moment of the Joker in the whole series. He's yes. heartbroken. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It is. And that, yeah. And that is Matt Frewer, the man behind Max Edgerton, yep. the voice of yep. Sid the Squid. And and let us not forget I've got Batman in my base. Tony hates me so much for even mentioning it, but it's, that <laughs> oh, is it's not, it's not a high mark. <laughs> it's a ridiculous episode. It's one of the unfortunate ones where it's like can you have something that appeals to kids that doesn't have kids in it? So it's like a kid has to rescue Batman. Um, it's And there's like a Home Alone sequence. So it, I, I, the Church of Batman recognize it as a Batman at the animated series episode, and we leave it at that. It's apocrypha. All right. Well, Tony, how do you think we did? How do we do? Thank you for putting together our, our, uh, our list here. Um, did we sufficiently praise Batman? I think so. Thank you for all sticking with, you know, I thought 10 episodes was reasonable, but I realized that was a significant under- undertaking. So I appreciate that everybody did that. Um, I like that people had uh, different favorites and least favorites on the list. I feel like I did a good job at making a list that uh, that there were ones that people had very strong feelings about. So that's, that's good. I'm sure we're going to get listener mail from people who are like, why didn't you include X, Y, and Z? Uh, nerds, you're wrong. <laughs> oh, no. That's well, the next really episode. I don't know. A case can be made for the two for the two face episode. The two face episode is next. I have a list that goes. I, the original list was twenty episodes long. Wow. So. <laughs> I yeah, I would have added like Robin's reckoning. Yeah, that's yeah, that's Robin's reckoning. Next on the list. You, you guys are literally naming one. the next ones on the list. So, <laughs> and, and all yeah. I can say is only twenty. Well, I look yeah. forward to our forthcoming podcast. Random Batman. <laughs> random Batman. Random oh my god, can you imagine? With every episode of all Batman series animated and live action plus the movies, it's going to be oh, great. Yeah. Look for look for Tony Sindelar starring in random, random Batman. I'm already doing that podcast. I just don't record or release it. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just in my house. Yeah, probably yeah. so. All right, well, uh, th- this has been a lot of fun, and I, I enjoyed uh, finally seeing this show that I've heard so much about but never really actually sat down and watched. Um, so thank you to my my guests for talking about it with me on this episode of The Incomparable. Dan Morin, thank you as always. We're all Batman, Jason. Okay. Uh, Batman, David Lore, <laughs> thank you. Batman? Uh, I, I am, I'm also Robin, I think, sometimes. Maybe, no, maybe I'm Nightwing. I'm so, Nightwing. Sounds like a personal okay. problem. <laughs> Nathan Alderman, uh, great to have you on after many years of service in other media to come to The Incomparable this time. Thanks for being here. Thanks for letting me be your sidekick. Oh, you can get in, you can get in the sidecar anytime. Uh, <laughs> Shannon Sutter, thank you for being here. You're welcome. I'm Batgirl. All right. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and Tony Sindelar, thank you for putting this together. Uh, may Batman always be with you. Good night, nerds. <laughs> and uh, I can't top that. Thanks everybody for listening to this episode of the Incomparable. We will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>